Greetings, Australia. Welcome to the new Stand Up Australia podcast, Stand Up Sits Down With. Contrarian conversation, rebutting the mainstream narrative. Each week, we discuss and deconstruct the most relevant news stories in Australia and around the world that you may have missed during the past week. We separate fact from fiction so you can make better decisions about which way you want to go politically and personally. This week, we welcome Adrian McRae to the breakdown of the week's events. Adrian was born and raised in rural New South Wales and now resides in Western Australia, where he runs GBT Construction Group, which bravely stuck its finger up to the government over its mRNA shots in 2022. He now shares his concerns and insights surrounding the government's incompetent response to the COVID-19 pandemic and the continued globalist agenda creeping into our great country as the candidate for Durac of the great Australian party. So today on the show, as Atagi recommends fifth booster shots for Australian, John Skerritt runs for the hills as more normies come out of the woodwork exposing the vaccine issue. Queensland Health releases guidance for coroners on how to classify assisted suicide in disturbing media release. Australia becomes the first nation in the world to allow legal psychotherapy using psilocybin and MDMA. And lastly, our legendary journalist Seymour Hirsch tells in detail how the Nord Stream pipeline was taken out by USA and Norway as a way to inflame tensions in Ukraine. So hi, Adrian, welcome to the show. As it's our first time chatting and possibly the first time some of our listeners may have met you, give us a little crash course in who you are. G'day, Mitch. Um, thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, look, I'm uh, no one of too much significance, mate. I uh, own um, a group of construction and uh, automotive automotive businesses out in um, the Pilbara in the WA's northwest. Um, as you mentioned, coming from a farming background in central New South Wales, grew up over there and uh, travelled the world for a few years, played a bit of uh, rugby in Europe and then, um, yeah, just came back and did a bit of study in the US and and things um, didn't work out in that and, and I ended up uh, coming to the Pilbara in 2008 to pay off a few um, student bills and got um, ended up getting stuck out here as I uh, sort of fell into a few um, business opportunities of my own and and uh, still here. The sort of company began as a one-man band and, and it's sort of now grown into a bit of a national thing. We have um, sort of workers around the country and uh, I'm fortunate to have a really good, really good crew of people sort of um, working with me in Queensland, New South Wales, and, uh, and and also in Western Australia. So, yeah, look, I'm I'm lucky, and and uh, certainly the um, opportunities presented out here have, have um, sort of sparked a bit of interest in me in in the political sphere, and also in um, in the philanthropy space. I've been fortunate to um, run some big uh, charity events in East Africa, and so I've sort of got um, got a triannual triannual uh, event in East Africa focused on. Kilimanjaro, climbing the mountain and, and um, jumping off the top. I think I'm still the only person in the world that's jumped off Kilimanjaro three times. Jumped off? Um, how, do you, how do you do that? Oh, just with, with paragliders, yeah. Oh, but, fantastic. Um, that must have been pretty thrilling. Yeah, look, it's, a, it was, it's, it's been fun. It's been, a, it's been an amazing, um, amazing uh, thing. I've been fortunate to be able to put together with the help of some wonderful people around the world, including my uh, little sister. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's um, yeah, just sort of, Fell into the um, fell into the business sphere out in in Western Australia, but of course, I guess my real passion has always been health and um, and politics, and so it's um, really sort of been at the forefront of my uh, you know my life in the last um, yeah sort of fifteen years. 
Yep, yep. So I can, I can imagine when the, the mandates came through. I mean, I've, I've read a bit about what you did then. You s- stuck your finger up to the man and sort of told your staff not to, you know, that they didn't have to do it. Um, I really commend you on that. That shows a lot of courage, especially when you've got a, a thriving business um, and a reputation. Yeah, look, it hurt. It did hurt us financially, but, um, you know, it's, it's as of, you know, I had a, I had a 60 minute story done on me a few years ago around my charity stuff. And, and as I said there, I, I um, you know, I've been broke most of my life as a buddy backpack around the world. So if, if I go broke again for, you know, making sure that the health of those people that have, um, you know, worked alongside me out here in, uh, in WA for so long um, was was compromised. I'd rather lose my business than lose lose someone close to me. So look, I um I did beg my staff not to get it. Some of them still did. Some of them um you know made personal choices. I wasn't I wasn't I didn't try and influence them aggressively away from it or you know threaten people losing their jobs if they took it. But certainly um I did try and give them as access to as much of the resources that I was privy to. Um and and thankfully most of the guys didn't take it. So look, I do still have a bunch of people that um. Did did end up uh, having to take it to to stay on projects that they were working on, and um, look, I, I respect them for that. Their, their personal decisions, but um, yeah, certainly we we didn't have a um, any mandates in in um, within my business, and and uh, and I never could look myself in the mirror if I ever asked someone to take a um, a gene editing technology drug into them. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's what it's all about, isn't it? Free choice. That's what that's all we want. I'm sure. I'm sure that's what you want. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's all I want. I don't want anybody to take it, but if it's if they want to take it, then it's up to them. If you give them the information Absolute, and they still want to do it, then yeah. yeah. Oh absolutely. well, let's let's get stuck into the first story, shall we? It is to do with uh, the current state of vaccines. So, Itagi has just released its advice on boosters, the new bivalent booster, which has um, just sort of entered the Australian shores. So Itagi has come out and said that anybody over 18, they recommend to get the new bivalent booster. Uh, This is after previous uh, information from Itagi, maybe two or three months ago, which said that they recommended that nobody under the age of 50 get the booster shots because uh, the risks of myocarditis were quite high. They're still recommending nobody under 18 gets it, but I wouldn't be surprised if that changes shortly. This comes on the back of John Skerritt, who was the head of the TGA, who's, you know, responsible for the introduction of these vaccines in this country, has just decided he is going to resign from his post as of April 16th, I believe. Um, and I can't really get past all these coincidences of high-profile people coming out against the vaccine, one of them being Carl Stefanovic. I do have a couple of do have a couple of videos here. Um, of him talking about it with the puppet um, Nick Coatsworth, who was the ex-deputy uh, health, not health minister, ex-deputy um, chief health officer of Australia. Um, would you like to hear those before we comment? Oh, look, I'd love to actually see them again. I've, I've seen the I've seen the ones you're talking about, but yeah, it'd be good to watch again and uh, and talk about. All right, fantastic. So the first one I'm going to queue up here is the news report about the fifth shot. 
All Australians could soon be eligible for a fifth COVID vaccine as chief medical experts prepare to unveil new booster guidelines. That's despite new claims that Australian adults have been reluctant to roll up their sleeves for their first booster. According to official figures, about one in five have received their first two doses, but no further shots. So really not, not much of a shock there, is it? Like, uh, you know, what we were talking to about previously uh, before the podcast started about people not really keen to get their boosters anymore. They got their first two shots to keep their job and that's about it. I think she might have uh, might be stretching the um, reality there a little bit with her one in five that haven't taken a booster. I think, uh, you know, we know that the numbers have been messed and played with through this entire uh, this pandemic and uh, it's, it's, you know, it's almost laughable to say that uh, only 20% of the people didn't, uh, didn't take a booster. I mean, we know, we know it's far more than that. No, oh, well, it's at least, it's at least 50% you'd think. I don't know many people that have had it under, under the age of 50 anyway. I know a lot of the older people have, um, sure. but we'll cut, we'll cut to Carl Stefanovic now. Um, I found this, Look, he's a bit of pretty polarizing figure, Carl Stefanovic. Um, at the start of this whole thing, he was on TV telling people to get their shot. Uh, obviously, people like this in the media, they they have, you know, big houses, boats, they're paying off. They have to sort of go along with it. But I believe something's happened to Carl here. And I believe something's happened to Nick Cotsworth as well, because he was a couple of months ago, we played a a clip of him saying that he was very concerned about the vaccines and that they were causing myocarditis in one in 3,000 people, which is, uh, you know, quite a, quite a big number. It's a lot larger than the amount of young people that are getting actually affected by the virus itself. Um, so here's Nick Cotsworth and Carl Stefanovic. Um, that if I have another um, dose... Um, that I may get complications. Um, I've, I've seen all this, um, all these reports on the internet about fit and healthy people just dropping down with heart issues, uh, and it's still not obviously established yet whether or not the vaccine caused some of these heart issues. But that's a worry for me more so than getting COVID. Well, with with respect to your age, Carl, uh, I think the real worry for myocarditis and pericarditis is adolescent boys, and that's why Atagi's come out and said no more booster doses for people under the age of 18. So they are taking into account those complications. I don't think there's hundreds and thousands of sudden cardiac deaths that are being swept under the do carpet. I don't know. Yes, we do know that because I think the TGA is doing a good job. Mm. You know, no regulatory agency is perfect, but there's not tens of thousands of people who are suffering complications that we don't know about. This is a safe vaccine. There are complications, but we know what they are. Doc, always good to talk to you. Let Thanks, us know Carl. how you feel about that. All right. Uh, liar, liar, pants on fire, I think, here. He's, um, yeah, just, just the, the remarkable sort of turnaround that I've seen Nick Cotsworth go through. He's obviously had some sort of threat happen to him. And you've seen people like um, Karen Phelps come out recently and talk about her and her partner's vaccine injuries. Uh, very high-profile people. It's no longer a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, is it? Look, it's disappointing because Coatsworth did come out and look like he was going to start. He, he had started talking a bit of you know truth on what's really happening, and and he's he's now going back. Like you say, has has someone gotten to him? Why is he why is he suddenly jumped back on board the um, the the injection bandwagon after he so clearly started uh, talking publicly against the dangers of it. And 
to lie to lie so blatantly to a television camera and say there's not hundreds or thousands of people with you know keeling over with heart injuries i mean you only have to go to the tga's own database of adverse event notification site and i haven't looked at it for a month but last i looked at it we're we're up to a thousand doctor reported cases of people dying from the jab these are these are the doctors that can't you can't go and fill in a database risk losing their license to do it so so many doctors refuse to do it and there was over 120,000 serious injuries reported so 120,000 serious injuries we're talking we're talking four or five weeks ago since I've even seen the the website on the TGA's database and these are all reported by doctors 120,000 seriously injured people that lives have probably changed forever never mind the never mind the thousand people that doctors have reported as dead now month to month we're varying between 15 and 30 percent excess deaths since the jab rollout started in across australia so for coatsworth to to come out and say that oh no it's got nothing to do with the jab it's you know of course it's following the international line that we're hearing out of the uk and germany and uh, th that are saying okay it's it's you know even even the likes of sadly um jordan peterson is towing the line now too and and these people are saying oh look it's the it's the people that are had less access to doctors over the last couple of years because COVID's occupied the, the medical fraternity and people were locked down and so they didn't get the health care they needed. But they're obviously stepping and tiptoeing around the elephant in the room of what happened in, in uh, particularly in Australia, in April of 2021, that suddenly caused this spike. We didn't have a spike in deaths during the, the height of the pandemic, but we, you know, the, the spike in deaths began straight after these injections rolled out. I personally have have over ten close friends who have died within a month of getting a a second or a or a first booster shot, and it's it it's not it, it is it coincidence? It, it, I mean it's it's embarrassing to think that uh, you know we people these people can't put two and two together. But of course there is you know we we there's a hundred billion dollars Pfizer has made in the last two years a hundred billion. There is massive powers at play here that uh, you know basically own our our media narrative unfortunately channel nine that that today's show is on is owned by msn um, which is in turn owned by blackrock um, channel seven is owned by yahoo which is in turn owned by blackrock and pfizer and moderna are majority owned by blackrock so it's the the networks the networks and the and the uh conspiring at the highest level is is really disturbing yeah, it's it, it is very disturbing. You're not going to get a true picture of what's going on in the world if you're watching these like three mainstream channels. Uh, and you know, and let's not even talk about the ABC. <laughs> ABC, who who'd like to who like to stay silent on anything that's important in Australia, um, any sort of issue on vaccine safety or anything medical. And all this is a bit of a limited hangout as well, like blaming the blaming the lockdowns. Like, you know, during the lockdowns, we were all saying these things like, you know, people can't go to the doctor. This is bad for people's health. And now they're sort of admitting that there is a there is a problem with the lockdowns, but at the same time hoping it takes the eyes away from the clear problem, which is which is vac the vaccines. And you're seeing, you are seeing like the latest stats for heart disease and heart attack related deaths are up 17%. And that's not including the cases that are still with the coroner. 
So people forget that a lot of these deaths get investigated for up to a year before they are put down as being a heart you know, related death because they have to investigate these things. It's the same thing that happens with the suicide numbers. They say, well, there's no, there's no you know, increase in suicides because half of those deaths are being still being investigated by the coroner six months in advance. So, yeah, I but think again, it's... Again, the coroners, the coroners have been, obviously they're swamped, but the coroners are, are investigating something that they haven't seen before. These, these, uh, these deaths that are, that are happening that, are, that we're seeing in you know, people around the world with uh, you know, this new fibrous clotting, clotting stuff that's clotting in veins and arteries, and they're, 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 they're being asked to diagnose spike protein damage to a, to a myocardial tissue, be it the, be it the pericardium and the, the lining of the heart or the, uh, or the heart muscle itself in myocarditis, and, and they're seeing things that they, they haven't seen before, and they're trying to, and, and it's not something that they can, they, they don't understand the, the mechanisms and things in place that, that are causing the damage to, to the heart tissue because the damage is like nothing that's happened before. It's not a typical... It's not a typical atherosclerotic deposit of, of you know a bit of calcium and and uh, and cholesterol. These these heart issues are coming from things that the human body has never seen before, and so I can only imagine what these uh, you know these researchers are doing in the um, in these in the cadavers of people that have died when they're seeing stuff that they've never seen before, never learnt about, never studied. So it's you know unfortunately, as you said, there there is delayed by as much as a year, but we're not going to see uh, or hear um, anytime soon about you know, that this has likely been caused by the jab because unfortunately there are too many um, too many dollars and too many um, weak corrupted politicians in this country that are that are scared to ask the question. Yeah, well, definitely. One of those politicians is, is definitely not um, Federal Minister Russell Broadbent, who talked recently about the um, vaccine injured that had, he had met. And I'm going to share this video clip. It's the last, probably the last video clip on this on this topic. Um, but you can hear how disturbed he is in the clip itself. Coming up. I've had some shocking days in my office in my time here since 1990. But the hour I spent yesterday with three vaccine-injured people are the worst, most horrific stories I have heard in this place as a federal member for all of this time. The plight of Cara Potter, Lisa Wormsley, Michelle Longhurst, and Cara's with us today in the gallery. And I say to them, I have never heard such horrific stories in my time as a federal parliamentarian in this place. I have written to Mark Butler with a number of questions. And along with that letter, I sent 23 case stories, including Cara's. I have said to all three in my office, your representatives are your representatives in this place. You voted for them, they're here. I've sent Cara to Kirsty McBain, the member for Eden Monaro. I haven't heard from the health minister, but my expectation is high.
I don't share his expectation there at all. Uh, Mark Butler, he's talking about as a new health minister. Um, you know, at this at this point in time now, I believe the government is pissing on all our, on, our, on all our backs and telling us it's raining because there's no way that the floodgates can be closed from this point on. And I think John Skerritt knows that. And I think that's why he's joined the likes of Anthony Fauci and various other health experts around the world and resign their posts before the shit really starts to get real. Look, we're seeing, we're seeing that, you know, with the resignation of Jacinda Ardern, uh, Fauci, Skerritt. Look, the, the ships are jumping, the, the rats are jumping from the sinking ship, we know that. But uh, look, at the same time, their, their, their jobs have been done. They've, they've completed their task, whatever it was that they were asked to do. And, um, you know, we'll see their faces, maybe not Fauci because he's in his 80s now. And uh, these, uh, these others we'll see, we'll see pop up. Obviously, I'm hearing uh, uh, Jacinda Ardern has is, uh, got posts in, um, in the UN and also been offered uh, positions within BlackRock itself. So it's, it's uh, you know, the gravy train will continue for those guys. But um, it's, yeah, look, Russell, it's good to see Russell finally speaking up. He's two years too late to the party, but, you know, welcome to the party regardless. Um, you know, it's a pity he didn't speak up when Craig Kelly and the likes were uh, getting shot down and humiliated on Carl and, with Carl and uh, Ali Langdon on on, oh. uh, on on the Today Show, you know that was infuriating. That clip I watched that yesterday again. It yeah, just, look, I mean, it's it's obviously doing the rounds again now, on certainly on the Telegram on the channels. But um, look, it's uh, it must be embarrassing. I mean, I can't even imagine. You know, some of these some of these journalists I consider myself very close friends with, and uh, and and Alison in particular, and. She was she was so disgusting in that point. I just you know it's hard to, it's hard to maintain any kind of um, semblance of respect for people that uh, are so willingly read from the script and and uh, don't ask questions that a journalist, as you know yourself, should be asking. Yeah, I mean, I'd be hesitant to call these people journalists anymore. To be honest with you, they're just talking heads. Um, I thought that for quite a while before before COVID anyway, but uh, yeah, even more so now. Just in the entertainment yeah, industry. Look, it's you know the 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 the, the media industry, be it written or you know televised or, or written print or whatever. It's um it's been extremely compromised for a long time. We've known that you know as we mentioned before this chat, probably nine eleven woke me up to some of the um how depth the depth of the how deep these rabbit holes go. So it's it's um. Yeah, look, I mean, our, our trusted institutions, as we spoke about, they've all they've all lost um, any semblance of of, of respect and uh, and certainly uh, integrity in this last few years. Um, and and certainly, I hope you know more Australians and, and and not just Australians, but globally, people are starting to really wake up to it. I mean, we saw we saw um, in the US, you know, the, what they what they did to um, you know presidential leaders in the, in their mainstream um, in their mainstream media and you know some of it may have been warranted but mostly not they certainly um, like to play good cop bad cop and they certainly like to push a narrative and now that they're now that you know most mainstream media outlets around the world are funded by government because they don't get the ad revenue as we spoke about earlier because they've lost so much of that to social media yeah um, you know they are they have become 
the mouthpiece of, of, of government. They're supposed to, you know, the, the, the purpose of media was to question and challenge government, but now they've become the, basically the, um, the, uh, you know, the gramophone of government and, and it's, um, you know, their, their job is basically pushing, you know, pushing you know, political agendas. Yeah, well, thank God for things like Substack and uh, podcasts and, you know, independent journalism. Now, you know, being an independent journalist five years ago even was a, it was a tough gig, but now you can go out there and actually earn a decent living. Yeah, you got guys like Eric, um, Alex Berenson, for instance, uh, they're earning $100,000 a week. You know? Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, great. He, he, they deserve it. And, and watching, you know, the likes of Del Bigtree and, and uh, you know, Joe Rogan, these people that were, um, you know, that are just talking truth, you know, and talking to, and giving giving all sides of debates a voice and uh, and people want to hear that and, and, and the success is shining back and, and hopefully giving those people some uh, financial reward and, and, uh, and they deserve that. Yeah. Now, I've missed, I have missed one part of this uh, Atagi um, recommendation and it's on their website. I've put this in the show notes as well. I recommend everybody has a read of it because... The, the truth sitting in plain sight here. They haven't even tried to hide how ineffective these booster shots are. So this is an excerpt from the, from the Atagi website. So it says, Atagi considers a booster dose beneficial for all adults aged 65 years and older. The risk of severe disease increases with each decade of age. With similar levels of hybrid immunity to the Australian population, UK modelling during the Omicron era found that 800 people aged 70 years and above would need to be given a booster dose to prevent one hospitalization from COVID-19 compared to 8,000 people aged 50 to 59 years and 92,500 aged 40 to 49 years. So what they're saying here is if you're 40 to 49 years old, 92,500 people would have to take a booster to protect one person from being hospitalized. And that's going on the data we have now from places like VSafe in the US showing that 7% of all people that got the vaccine originally had a serious adverse reaction, which required hospitalization. So you're maybe 7,000, I can't do the math right now, 70,000 more times more likely to be hospitalized from the vaccine than from COVID if you get the booster. Look, that's, that's a, I mean, that last figure is um is frightening but the fact that they're even still parroting a, a line of a very dodgy maths and statistics to say that the booster is going to keep anyone out of hospital i mean we could see we could see until december 31 in 2022 only a month ago where new south wales public health was still publishing their records everyone for the last two weeks of Last two weeks, and not just that, because I, I followed it and I and I would publish it on my socials every at least once a month. But right through 2022, right up until the very end of very end of 2022, there was as many as 800 people in hospital uh, in New South Wales with COVID-19 or whatever the new variant is. Um, in the last two weeks of of 2022, all of them, 100% of them, were either double, triple, or quadruple jabbed in fact an overwhelming majority were quadruple jabbed so it's clearly your your chances of chances of getting sick and going to hospital with covid is exponential by the more jabs you have and we know that now because of the way the immune system is being absolutely damaged and basically destroyed by the more of these jabs you have the, the, the sicker you're going to become and so 
New South Wales, I'm sure you're across it, but New South Wales Public Health to, uh, you know, obviously got to wrap over the knuckles for, for, for publishing weekly their vaccine status of all their, um, of all the people coming to hospital. And in, in the last two weeks, there wasn't a single person unjabbed going to hospital while there was 800 plus that were, you know, quadruple jabbed or, or you know, double, triple or quadruple jabbed. So it's, it's uh, you know, that, and now New South Wales Public Health, the way to get rid of those numbers is now they don't publish the vaccine status of, of people that are, that are being hospitalised. So it's, I mean, it's, it's yeah. laughable to say that, they can, that even a target saying that one in how many thousand um, people will be safe from going to hospital from these jabs, it's, it's a joke because it, 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 it's quite simply the opposite. It's, there it's, it's impossible. The, the more jabs you have, the more likely you are to go to hospital. And that's, that's there in the data. Yeah. So rather, rather, than, rather than explain the data, just, um, you know, make it unavailable for people. Yeah, it's <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's mind blowing how, uh, how blatant the, the censorship and, and lies are at this point. Like people can't run away from these numbers. People are seeing them and even, even the people that don't want to see them are seeing them and they're asking questions. And so look, they're going to have their work cut out with this, um, third or fifth, third booster or fifth shot, whatever they call it. Uh, you know, and only those, those who take it, unfortunately, I don't, you know, I feel sorry for them, but they, um, they're, they're digging their own grave. Yeah, look, they, they, they certainly are. They certainly are. It doesn't take that much uh, research either, does it? I mean, if you're searching I mean, on... Looking at government, official government data itself will, will, will show clearly what's happening to those people that are... The more jabs you have, the sicker you become. And that's, uh, you know, you only have to go to a hospital ward now. I spoke to a friend yesterday that had to take their son into hospital and literally the, hosti- the, the waiting room was, you know, they were, they were sitting in sitting on stairs outside the waiting room. So waiting rooms are full and everyone's in there with issues related that we know now are, are published and recorded side effects from the jab. Kids with heart problems, children having strokes. It's <laughs> what the hell is going on and still they're pushing this thing. Yeah, I know. Rather than, like going back to that whole rather than explaining it thing, it's rather than explaining it, they normalise it. I said, oh, this happens. This is quite normal. Even though you've never heard of it before 2021, have you? Look, it was really nice. And, you know, going back to the Carl Stepanovic interview with Coatsworth, it's nice to see Carl stepping up and he's had a few, you know, he's had a few outbursts on, on today's show in the last couple of months where he's, you know, he said, I'm not getting any more. And this is, you know, he's, he obviously, you know, it's good that he's been given enough free reign to say a few things, but he could have taken, you know, if he had, if he had any journalistic integrity, he could have taken Coatsworth to task when he had that interview earlier in the week. I was disappointed. When Coatsworth said, "Oh, yeah, it's good," you know, it's almost like it was very scripted. He goes, "Oh, what about all the?" I'm, I'm looking on the internet. He didn't say anything any official sources. He just said, "I'm looking on the internet. I'm hearing all these people getting myocarditis." And and Coatsworth's like, "Ah, thanks for asking me there. We, it's funny you should ask, but you know, of course, we're not doing adolescent boys. It's not just adolescent boys that are having the heart issues. Look at the footballs. We've lost a thousand professional footballs that aren't adolescent boys around the world and dropped dead yeah. around the world in the last in the last two years." Since the since the jab rollout, look at the likes of Shane. I mean, Carl was friends with Shane Warne. Why didn't he say, "Well, what happened to Shane Warne?" We know it wasn't the we know it wasn't the you know the media story of you know drinking too much orange juice and celery juice, and that's what caused his heart attack. Mm. This is it's 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 ridiculous. The majority, the lion's share of these heart attacks is coming in the twenties, the twenty to forty nine year olds, and they're just saying, "Oh no, we know about young you know some young boys." This is just embarrassing. Coatsworth, Coatsworth should be uh, 
and I'm not even going to say publicly what I think should happen to the guy. It's just if we know he knows the truth, and and still he lies lies to people's faces on, on camera. Yeah, he had his opportunity, and uh, he almost got there, but you know he's lost any last bit of respect they ever had for the guy, which wasn't much to begin with, to be honest. But you know, Shane Warne was the canary in the coal mine in the end. If if people still believe that you know he as you said, died from drinking orange, orange and celery juice. Well, you know, the, the rumor, or, rumor is, and this comes directly from his son apparently, is that he was there because he was suffering already. He was, he was having heart issues and he wanted to go to Thailand to get it sorted out. Yeah, look, I, I have heard that he went there to detox. And again, I don't know that that's speculation, but I did read the, I did read the coroner's report over there and he did have uh, massive, massive blockages. He had... Uh, Pulmonary, pulmonary embolisms and, you know, all the stuff that we see coming from, you know, from jabbed and triple jabbed people all around the world. So it's, it's uh, you know, at least the beauty of the, the one thing I do give America kudos for the last couple of years is they still have that First Amendment and doctors still have the right to, you know, freedom of speech and they still, they speak up over there. And so we're fortunate because here doctors, as we know, are stifled and threatened, threatened by, um, you know, by ScoMo's brother and his buddies at APRA of, of loss of medical license and loss of career for, for telling the truth. And so at least in America, they do speak up and some of the top doctors in the world are, have been speaking up since the beginning and uh, we're fortunate, you know, obviously we've got uh, uh, McCullough and, and Pierre Corey coming to Australia next week and, you know, hopefully hopefully they get a big following because it's, uh, you know, it's doctors like this that are going to turn the tide. Unfortunately, doctors got us into this mess and sadly it's going to take a few very brave ones to get us out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, it's it's a shame we even have, even have to call them brave. They're just uh, doing their job. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, I mean, they, they do they do risk a lot with regard to career and professions and and uh, and reputation. But ultimately, they're going to be the ones that come out on the right side of history. And you know, it's it's becoming clearer by the day that uh, you know they, they they doctors need to start telling the truth now because it's. Um, it's it's going to come back and bite them in the bum very quickly. Certainly is. On, on the on the theme of the government trying to kill us, um, last in the last week, I've uh, had this sent to me a couple of times. Uh, firstly, from a friend of mine who got it sent to him from his wife, uh, his sorry, his friend's wife who was in the medical industry, and they got sent this letter saying about assisted dying. So I wasn't even aware this was a thing in Australia yet, but. This has come out and they are telling doctors that they have to put a certain coding on deaths now. So I believe now this seems to be a worldwide thing, especially in Canada. This has been showing its ugly head uh, where people in Canada are now being urged to commit suicide, you know, uh, assisted dying, sorry, use the wrong term there, for things like depression. But what they are asking in this and these all these are in the show notes by the way this is the links to the the government website the queensland health website so the doctors have been asked they must state the cause of death was the disease illness or medical condition that was the basis for the person being eligible for voluntary assisted dying and must not refer to the voluntary assisted dying either as a main cause of death or antecedent i'm not sure what that means um, so basically this, this letter in short has come around saying that we're going to be doing this and you're not allowed to say that they died because they committed suicide. You've got to say that they died because they had a disease. 
Now, what, what's, what's your thoughts on this? Um, I know some people sort of are quite pro this. I, I won't say that I'm against it completely because I think if you are suffering a lot, um, I think that is your choice if you want to end your life. Um, but I'm completely against this, especially after what we've just gone through the last couple of years where if you had COVID and you also had terminal cancer and you died, it was put down as being COVID. So I would say this here should really be put down as committing suicide. What, what do you think about that? Uh, look, I couldn't agree with you more, but it, I think on a, on a deeper, darker level, um, if, there's a, if there was ever clear evidence for a, a depopulation agenda, and, and like you mentioned, Canada, which is, you know, Trudeau and his, uh, and his cronies in, in Canada, it's, it's, it's a global embarrassment. Canada was, you know, always such a country of integrity and respect, and, and it's just slipped into this uh, very woke, Workshipism, as uh, one of my good uh, professor friends calls it, um, but uh, it's it's just disappointing. There, you know, obviously they're assisting suicide. We see in Canada, children can go in and request uh, end of life medication without parent, parental consent and be uh, basically end their life with uh, you know legal legal legally euthanized suicide, I suppose. Um, it's you know we're we're um, we're starting to really you know I'm kind of glad that they're doing these things. I wish they were more wish they were more publicised. Of course, our media is not going to talk about it except for you know places like this. And, and, and kudos to you, Mitch, for for bringing it up. But uh, if there was ever if there was ever proof of um, deeper, darker agendas behind what we've been facing the last three years, I think these um, these new uh, assisted assisted dying. Um, rules coming in across the country are uh, are really disturbing and, and Palaszczuk and her government over there she's obviously whoever she's answering to she's been a very um very well behaved little uh little puppet of the of her uh, masters because it doesn't matter what they seem to ask her she's she's not um, backward in coming forwards and doing as she's told because you know some of the things she said and done the last couple of years are actually frightening yeah they, they certainly are and I, I do fear like we we escaped we like we escaped from Victoria to come up here. And I use that word escaped deliberately because that's what I felt like we did. But when we got here, I knew the I knew the psyche of the Queensland people was different to the Victorian people. So I did feel a little bit safer being under the control of the Labour Party up here as like as compared to down there in Victoria. I think uh, Daniel Andrews is an absolute maniac, but I really don't feel like Palaszczuk is far behind. And all you have to look look as the the health minister up here. You know, so there's something wrong with that woman. Um, and I've, I've, they put these people in the positions they're in because they know that they can get these crazy things passed. And look, there's really no, there's really no need for this. Like I think, as I said before, like I think if someone's in absolutes, you know, it's like, look, I hate to um, compare people to pets, but if you've got an animal that's very sick and you know that it's just going to live the last of its days in absolute horrific pain. The humane thing is to get it put down. I think that's probably a very similar thing. If you're a human being, then maybe that's a good option for you. But what we're talking about here is what we talked about in Canada. Canada started off like this. It's, it starts off as being this humanitarian thing where we let people do this when they're in lots of pain they've got some physical ailment they can't get rid of and they're just over it uh terminal cancer anything like brain tumors things like that 
But now, as you see in Canada, I'm going to play this clip in a sec, but in Canada now it's morphed into something like if you're homeless and you can't find a house, you can kill yourself. If you're depressed, you can kill yourself. Um, it's, it's almost like they don't want us to be here. So I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to play this clip right now. And um, I found this pretty shocking. Um, I mean, I find most things I see online pretty shocking these days, but I'll get your opinion on this clip when it loads. After eight years of growing poverty and desperation, more and more Canadians are suffering with depression. Some of them are going to food banks asking for help ending their lives, not because they're sick, but because life has become so miserable and they want to end their lives altogether. This government has suggested veterans should end their lives instead of getting help that they need. And now they've announced that a year from today, they will introduce measures to, to, to end the lives of people who are depressed. Will they recognize that we need to treat depression and give people hope for a better life rather than ending their lives? The Honourable Minister for Mental Health. Mr. Speaker, I think it is totally irresponsible for the Leader of the Opposition to misrepresent what this means. All of the assessors and providers for MAID are purposely trained to eliminate people that are suicidal. And so this is for... Now, I'm not sure about you, but I find that just astonishing what you said just then. Eliminating people that want to kill themselves from being suicidal. What does that even mean? Uh, look, uh, I, I don't even, I'm speechless like you. I, I don't know how to, how to take seriously any, um, you know, any speech in a parliament for the last three years, to be honest. It's, um, you know, the Canadian, the, it's sometimes I, I actually watch some of the Canadian um, parliamentary hearings just, just for a laugh to see how pathetically woke left, radical left wokeism has, um, has infiltrated Canada to the level it has. New Zealand sometimes the same. It's just, I mean, and, and to be honest, I don't want to pretend we're immune either. We're, we're, not, we're pretty close behind. But, uh, it, look, it's laughable. I don't even, I don't even know what to, what to say. It's, you know, you, you, you're dealing with a, a government that is obviously, whoever they're answering to is... Um, And, and um, like, like we just spoke about, there's a, you know, they can get rid of dependence on the state, and obviously the state is broke, and, the, and these financial institutions are struggling. Can see a, a major apocalyptic crash in the financial system, and I think there's a there's a very clear um, clear agenda to um, you know minimise the minimise the um, number of people on the planet prior to prior to it happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you could go down a lot of paths here. You could talk about eugenics. You could talk about um, a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of dark stuff. But in the end, less people means less problems for the elite, doesn't it? So, um, especially if they actually do believe all this climate stuff. Yeah, look, uh, maybe there are some that still believe it. On you know, I, I think they they use they use fear. And obviously, climate is a—it's another tool of fear to uh, garner the um, garner the consent of you know millions of people around the world. It's um, it's you know I, I I don't think there are many globalists 
that we speak of or, or these these elites that still believe in climate but certainly they believe in the um the, the use of climate as a tool to to generate um and push agendas and so it's you know it's it's crazy to think that we are this little ball floating in space and you know because we we exhale we're a we're a threat to the environment you know with with uh with carbon it's it's just embarrassing at this point but look there are still you know, it's they're, they're, they're pushing the agenda in the educational institutions, which scares me a little bit because we do see, you know, it seems to be like the more educated you are, the more um, the more susceptible you are to believing um, government propaganda, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, we, we see this radical left infiltrating all levels of, um, of our education, edu- educational institutions from, you know, from preschool through to, uh, you know, our, our elite universities. So, look, we've got a... We've got a um, big fight against us but certainly um it's going to be an interesting an interesting time coming forward definitely i mean we, we've just had a in the last month we've had a theme of theme of the month has been homeschooling and just schooling in general as well um but it's our jobs as parents to keep an eye on what happens at schools um and these you know these these messages creep into our into our children all the time and I, I believe the teachers don't even really know what they're saying most of the time, to be honest with you. They're just going along with the mainstream narrative like most people do. But I've had quite a few occasions where my kids have come home and said something. I've said, no, that's not, that's not true, Matt. You know, um, the, last, the last sort of, you know, we pulled our kids out of school last year because of the mandates and because the school started going crazy and you know, getting people to wash their hands. 15,000 times a day and it was just causing anxiety so we pulled them out then and then we took them to the new school we said we don't want any politics in the school we don't want anything um, said to the kids about anything apart from you know how to how to be a kid how to read and write that's what you should be doing at school Um, about three weeks later we get um, wear Ukraine colors to school you know on the I think it was the second weekend so we, we raised we raised it we felt you know, it's hard not to feel silly as well when you do this. You're like, am I being a little bit, um, maybe a little bit precious? But no, kids should be kids. We shouldn't be getting them involved in political um, disagreements and, and, and issues. They should be learning to read and write at school. It should be our jobs as parents to be telling the kids, you know, how to live life. Yeah, look, I think... Um... Probably, I'll be trying to be measured with my words, but I think the um, this you know this introduction of of uh, bringing women into the workplace aggressively, bring them into the workplace, and basically leaving the raising of the children to the I guess to the state is a is a very you know it's a it's written about it's it's uh, it's been a, an idea of the globalists for a long time, and that's certainly what we're seeing now in real time with, with like you say, the politicisation and the hypersexualization of kids. And, and uh, unfortunately, it's, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, fair play to you. I think it's a great move for you to bring your kids out of that educational system. It's um, it's frightening. And then they, you know, they, they pick on kids and ostracise them if they're, you know, if they're not jabbed. I've, I've got several friends with kids in, you know, nice private schools all over Australia and those... Um, they had the worst worst years of their lives the last couple of years because you know they were of the minority who whose parents didn't make them take the jab or whatever it's uh it's you know unfortunately they're they're um we're 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 educating a new generation of um of you know what are going to be i guess radical 
lefties that you know are very um, socialist, even communist in their thinking, just because of 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 a of ideologies being pushed on them by uh, teachers at very young ages. It's hard to it's hard to hard to change something that you've drummed into a kid's mind from the age of five. You know, it's it's even as a parent, you'll always struggle to uh, to keep uh, you know keep them on a certain path of you know even conservatism or anything. It's it's uh, it's it's aggressively it's aggressively um, shut down and, and frowned upon now in the educational system. So I think, you know, good on you for taking kids out. And, and you know, I know tons of people that have taken their kids out of the system in the last year. And, and look, there's, they're, they're obviously, um, they're going to be richer and and, uh, and healthier and happier for it. So, you know, unfortunately, they don't get to mingle with kids like we probably did when we were children. But uh, it's, it's um, you know, hopefully they'll get that social interaction elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, if as long as you've got your kids' interests at heart first, um, you're doing the right thing, you know. And if, if two of you have to work like most of us do these days, then that's perfectly fine. Just take an interest in your kids' lives, you know. Take an interest in what's going on at school. That's all you can do in the end. Um, our kids are back at, at, at school now, and we're confident that we can um, control what comes into their, into, their, into their brains, you know. Just talk to them. Talk to your kids. Exactly. Yeah. I think I think parenting should be um, should take as uh, as much a role in you know in the educational system as um, you know maths and science and, and English you know it's it's you know teaching teaching the importance of you know the family unit which is obviously no longer really a thing um, yeah it's it's uh, you know just giving giving that kind of but then again who's going to be teaching that that ideology too so I mean I'd hate to I hate to be saying, okay, we've got to teach kids about families because then you're going to get, um, you know, this this left woke woke agenda of, um, you know, how how you know men can have babies too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different kettle of fish we're going into there. Yeah, no, let's not, <laughs> let's not go there. So the third story I had actually actually matches up pretty well with the um, the assisted dying because it talks about uh, legalized psilocybin and MDMA. Well, it's not technically not, not legalized, but it's legalized for psychotherapy. So this is coming from the group PRISM, which um, coincidentally, I actually did a bit of work with in the past. So I can speak with a lot of authority on this subject. Uh, they've been working for at least 10 years now to get MDMA and psilocybin um, legalized in this country for psychotherapy, because it is an incredibly strong tool for treating uh, treatment resistance depression, anxiety. Um, I'm not sure what you think about, um, about this. I'm gonna, this is going to be a two-prong to the story because then I'm going to go into another story, which is in Canada, I believe British Columbia, um, which became the first province in Canada to de decriminalize heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, and other hard drugs. So this, to me, screams out not about drugs itself, but about the sick society we live in. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard the quote, uh, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Krishnamurti is one of my favourites, yeah. Yep. One of my favourite quotes of all time, that one. Uh, but this is why I believe we are in the situations where we do need these drugs to sort of take us out of you know, the bubble and be able to see inside what is going on in society. This is the reason I believe why they have been the, be, been criminalized for so long. No, I'm not talking about 
fentanyl, cocaine, and other hard drugs here. I'm talking about psilocybin and MDMA, um, DMT, um, LSD. Uh, you know, uh, me personally, I've I've taken a lot of these drugs in the past to get through parts of my life, and it's allowed me to be objective and look outside where I am, and sometimes look back in on myself to overcome these issues. I think it's a I think it's an amazing thing that's happened. I'm not quite sure why the government is allowing it i'm still in the back of my mind kind of feel like there's an ulterior motive going on here but yeah i'd be interested to get your take on this look i've been a big proponent most of my life for um people's freedom of choice if they you know if they want to take drugs and do drugs i'm all for it i'm not i've actually never tried drugs myself but i um i completely support anyone's uh freedom to try it it's i think i think the regulation and, and what we see now in america with uh, obviously the decriminalization of um, you know marijuana products in many of the states and you know it's it hasn't created a you know a new um wave of druggies or it's 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 actually allowed the government to raise more revenue and and uh you know through that they can be doing educational programs as to the the positives or the negatives of, of those drugs and and um uh, I saw Portugal a few years ago actually cleaned up their entire country from, you know, drug addicts living on the streets through, through legalising and, and allowing doctors to be prescribing, um, you know, these addictive drugs and, and bringing them and getting them off the drugs through, through you know, legal, legal means. Um, it's, I think it's a, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many tests around the world that have shown that this is a, positive but like you I'm, I'm nervous because when I, when I see the Canadian government do anything I'm, I'm, I'm always wondering wondering um, who's benefiting here what's the what's the agenda what's the agenda I, I hate to think like that now but unfortunately the last few years has uh, made me doubt anything I see on uh, in the news as um, as being in the in the benefit of the people but you know maybe fentanyl and these things that uh, obviously are killing so many uh, particularly in North America um, maybe there's some uh, some some sort of something happening untoward there but certainly the um certainly the psilocybin and the uh mdma these sort of drugs if they can be uh if they can be prescribed and managed and 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 taxed and and uh controlled from a from societal perspective it's wonderful so long as they're not getting in the hands of uh you know you know minors and, and people that uh, shouldn't be getting in the hands of that but i mean it doesn't matter if they're illegal they're getting in their hands anyway so let's legalize them and um and with when, when a drug becomes legalised, we learn a lot more about it. And, you know, obviously more studies go into it and more, uh, more public become aware of, aware of them and, and uh, they become, you know, more accepted as to, you know, the pros and cons of them. So I think, um, look, I think it's a wonderful move by the Canadian government, but at the same time, um, the Canadian government, as we spoke about already in this chat, are so um, the agendas have been so uh, dark and dire that um, I just wonder is there... Uh, <laughs> Is there something not more untoward with this one? Yeah, and and at the at the same time, like this is not going to prevent. This isn't going to fix any issues. You know, all this is going to do is to stop punishing people. I'm talking about British Columbia here. Stop punishing people for having a drug problem, which we really need to ask why they have the drug problem in the first place. It's not the drugs that are that are the problem here, in my opinion. It's society making people get to the point where they have to do the drugs to survive and get by. Because in the end, if you, if you lock someone up for you know, a gram of cocaine, you're not doing them any favors. You're not doing society any favors. 
you're not doing the taxpayer any taxpayer any favors. All you're doing is making the problem worse. You're introducing people to worse people in jail, and they're going to come out even more addicted than they can than they went in. Yeah, look, I'm just I just wonder. I mean, thinking really off the top of my head because I, I wasn't aware of the story, but we are seeing a massive spike, and particularly through the lockdowns and through the kind of hopelessness that's come as a as an aside to the whole COVID. Uh, the last three years, a lot of people, you know, struggling for work in, in uh, particularly in, in Europe and, and, and certainly in uh, North America and obviously in, in uh, BC and Canada. Is this, is this kind of a, an opiate for the masses, so to speak, to, to legalise these things, make them publicly available um, so people can self-medicate to, you know, to a point to, um, to keep them out of the, uh, you know, Look, I, I don't really understand the agenda, but obviously they know that there is a there is a crisis in public health. There's no, in, in in public mental health, should I say? Um, we're seeing it here. We've had massive spikes in suicide in Australia, the biggest spike we've ever seen, and it's you know it's I forget the number, some thirty or forty percent spike in uh, in suicides in the last um, twelve and twenty four months, and a lot of that is coming from I guess remorse from what they've done to their body with uh, with the jab or just just with uh, particularly you know the the hopelessness of the breakdown of family units we've seen so many families broken up over this whole agenda this last couple of years where you know parents parents debating over you know are we going to inject our kids or not and this has broken you know I know several families where this has broken families and uh, it's you know it drives it drives people particularly men into very dark uh, mental places and, and certainly um, you know I assume that's not just Australia don't that, that'll be a, a more of a global phenomena and so is it a is it a way to um, get the uh, the masses to self-medicate you know their uh, their mental problems trying to deal with the shit show of um, of the global situation right now because I think we are in you know we are bound for a financial you know a financial crashes on the way and depression is about to get a whole lot worse is, is this preempting something that um, Something that many of us have been talking about for the last couple of years, with regard to, you know, a major a major crisis. Yeah, yeah, and, and at the same time, it sort of lets the law enforcement off the hook too, doesn't it? If if there's more of this going on, then they can't be expected to to police all these drugs going around. I mean, you look at look at what's happening in the US now. You've got, I think, it, last year it was a hundred thousand people died from opiate overdoses, and there's like another. Apparently, another one hundred and twenty thousand people every year die from um, taking prescription drugs the way they're intended as well. So there's this. Yeah, I think it's the fourth biggest killer, itrogenic illness now in the US. Is um, you know, doctor you know, incorrectly prescribed drugs and uh, and you know, obviously doctors prescribing drugs that they're not aware of uh, reactions with other drugs and God knows what else. But it's a major killer, cancer, heart disease. I think. Um, Diabetes or something was next, and and itriogenic was number four. It's it's massive. It's a, it's killing hundreds of thousands a year in the US alone. But you know Australia, I believe something like sixteen thousand. Last I heard, that was about five or six years ago, losing about sixteen thousand a year to um, you know ill prescribed drugs. So look, it's 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 normalised at this point, unfortunately. And then yeah, it's uh, something that we're going to um, you know it's we just at this point we're we're used to it and. and Unfortunately, I guess coming under itrogenic will be um, will be you know jab injuries and, and uh, you know 
it'll soon be the biggest killer, I'm sure of that. Yeah, yeah, I think you might be right there. Um, but I mean, all in all, in all, you know, going back to these two stories, I, th- I do believe these are positives, especially the first one. Um, and just so we're clear as well, the MDMA and psilocybin is not um, won't be prescribed to people. Technically, it'll be under a controlled situation where there is psychotherapy attached to it. So you'll go through okay. um, maybe one or two sessions with the drug itself, where you'll be with a psychotherapist who guides you through it. And then um, you, I think you follow up with eight to 10 sessions after that to talk about your experiences and what you got out of it. Uh, it's been shown to, I think, the last the last uh, studies I read, it was an 84% success rate in treating de- um, treatment-resistant depression and PTSD. So, um, you know, I, I can speak personally from it. I've, I feel like I've um, gotten over um, a lot of my PTSD from these drugs and i can attest that these things work and i've spoken to people that have have come out of some pretty dark places after taking them in these um in these um uh, you know psychotherapy assisted sessions as well not just by themselves so yeah all in all i think it's sorry i think it's i think it's really wonderful and 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 if you know if they are been using them in those settings um my my fear my fear would be as as is the case with any uh, drug which might 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 replace a, a more patentable um, a patentable drug in the for big pharma is it's kind of like you know what we're allowing let's you know let's go basic we're allowing vitamin C in as trials for for cancer and then they they do it in in such a way that they dose it so low that it can never have a it can never have a uh, an effect much more than placebo. Yeah, and so then then they can say, oh no, this doesn't work. This is a, this, if it's going to replace a pharmaceutical drug, I'm very skeptical that um, you know psilocybin in particular, something that you make at home, is is going to replace a pharmaceutical drug. I, I just I've studied this stuff for too long to believe that there's going to be anything or anything positive to come out of um, you know medically. Um, medically controlled and trialed um, new new drug, you know, new um, natural drug therapies like such as psilocybin, for example. MDMA is a little bit more chemical, of course, but but, uh, but uh, psilocybin is something you know people can grow that stuff at home. Yeah, the, the only thing I can say about that is um, if you underdose something like uh, psilocybin and MDMA, you'll know. <laughs> they're, they're very they're very 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 um strong effects and yeah if you're not feeling it you've been underdosed you would know immediately so yeah yeah it's interesting <laughs> but anyway um on to our last story um and this one we like to get one international story and this isn't just international it does affect everything at the moment and this is probably one of the biggest stories i've read in the last 10 years um, Seymour Hirsch, who is a legendary journalist, has come out and through his intelligence connections has written an amazing, very, very long article on his new Substack that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was done by the US and Norway. And as you were saying before, most likely Great Britain as well. The US is obviously denying these. But the allegations are that this started in late 2021. They planted the bombs on the pipeline using Norwegian Navy. And 
three months later through, I think it was a, a boy, which put out some sort of sonar um, sound, detonated the, the pipeline, destroying the gas which comes into Germany. So if this is true, if this is true, this is an act of war, which could possibly send us on a path to war with Russia on a world stage. I don't think it'll get there because I think uh, Russia will be pretty happy with the fact that this has come out and it makes you know the US look so bad. But you could say it's an act of war against Europe, really, couldn't you? If it's true, which well, I'm pretty sure it is after reading this article. Look, I think I think um, those people that have followed closely the the um, activities of, of what's happening in Ukraine, particularly the last, not just since 2014, but even even probably since the fall of the the collapse of the Soviet Empire, this uh, this situation in Ukraine is is clearly a play by well, not just clearly, but you know, it's 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 a play by the US to ostracize um, Europe from Russia. They need to, they, they can't have Germany and, and France in particular, um, main main economic powerhouse of Europe becoming closer geopolitically with, with Russia. So this yeah. whole this whole idea of um, German dependence on Russia had to be, you know, had to be wiped out. And and that's obviously what's uh, what's clearly happening now. Look, there's there's so many nuances around you know, NATO's expansion to the east, and, and of course uh, what's happening there. But it's it's uh, the fact that this article has come out now, um, sort of at a crucial time in 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 the uh, in the process of of you know the war. Kind of, it's a, I'm not going to say it's a stalemate because obviously uh, Russia is. Um, in a pretty commanding position right now, it's it's almost like um, they're trying to trying to egg Russia onto a, a bigger under um, something bigger. Now a lot of us have been not saying forecasting, but a lot of us have been somewhat half expecting some sort of false flag in uh, in Eastern Europe that was, would be blamed on Russia. And I feel that this article is is somewhat of a a poke in the eye to Russia to try and look for a retaliation or to or to pin a retaliation on on something that you know I almost expect now after that article that that a false flag is almost imminent now because it's like okay well now Russia has reason to to um, to take a, a drastic step such as a you know a limited nuclear bomb or whatever it is and I just feel that you know we've been predicting for you know the best part of twelve months now. It was been, you know, only a couple of weeks shy of running for 12 months. Um, <clears throat> that the US, it's a war that the US can't win. The only way that uh, the only way that they can really get involved is through their usual method of a of a false flag. Now, this article being published, while Seymour Hirsch has done some wonderful things in his life, he is very connected in, with intelligence, and a lot of people, friends of mine, told me he is intelligence. Um, and so, it's almost like Become very clear now that uh, this story is, is is almost egging Russia on to respond and react to give America the reason to, you know, not just not just militarily send send uh, you know um, weapons and weapons and training, but but uh, actually getting physically involved in the in the foray. So it does make me nervous. This article, I think it's um, I think it's brilliantly written as usual with Seymour Hersh. The, 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 the level of 
detail to you know how things were rolled out was 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 amazing and as you as we discussed earlier it couldn't have been done without some serious connections on the inside but it also seems a little bit too coincidental it makes me nervous about what's coming what is the purpose of the uh, what is the purpose of the article now because it would be it would almost seem why did he leave britain out of the article as we discussed um liz, liz trust the prime minister at the time sent the text message to secretary of state blinken saying it's done you know only moments after the after the explosion so there was there's some obviously uh british involvement in this but this article only points out that it's america it's it's it's, it's almost <clears throat> it's almost too good to be true for russia to, to give russia an excuse to retaliate and and russia is you know they are you know putin and his team are brilliant strategists and i don't think they will uh, i don't think they'll take the bait but certainly if anything anything was to happen now the world will be easily led into the position to believe that oh russia's gone and set off a nuclear weapon or whatever whatever it is and uh to incite to incite more um more violence and chaos over there because you know us us um whoever's whoever's controlling biden and particularly whoever's controlling um nato and and those in the european union uh obviously you know egging for this conflict to, to step up to the next level and that's you know that should be a fear for all of us because if it goes if it goes um if europe gets involved it's it's uh i'm nervous for where the whole world goes from there yeah or it destabilizes europe at the same time as well because it's sort of you know as you say before germany and and russia probably getting a little bit too cozy with each other but it kind of pushes germany into russia's arms a little bit more which is quite odd considering the history. Um, Germany seems to be the whipping boy of, of Europe, um, you know, being directly involved in the last two world wars. Um, it, it destabilizes Europe. It also solves the problem too, because it, it all seems to be pinned on Biden. If you've read the article, it's a lot of stuff saying that Biden was the one that gave the orders here. Um, as we all know, Biden's a useful idiot. He can barely string two words together, let alone um, you know, come up with a plan like this. Uh, the Democrats, I believe, want him out. This gives them an opportunity to push him out as well. Um, what What are your thoughts on that? I'm not sure that the I don't, I'm not sure that the powers that shouldn't be <clears throat> that run the Democratic Party necessarily want him out. I mean, he'll he'll see out his last two years, and there will be another election and. Who knows? You know, who knows what you know, where that's going to go? Because the election is, you know, we're seeing elections all over the world right now that are that are so clearly compromised. Be it you know from from the US to Brazil to, you know, God knows wherever else, France. Um, it's it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting one. That is this article of you know a ploy to to de to, to destabilize Biden, but Biden. I mean, Biden for the for the administration or for the the, the deep state behind him is the perfect tool. You know, it, it's as you said, he's a he's a useful idiot. Um, I think that's probably complimentary, but he he is. Um, you know, it it gives um, you know the, the crazy agendas that they want to roll out. Biden is the perfect person for it because no, you know, no one in their right mind is going to be doing half the things that Biden is allegedly signing off on because the guy doesn't the guy doesn't know you know 
apart from getting rid of his bedtime story, I don't think he's read anything that he signed in the last two years. The guy's not mentally, he doesn't have the mental faculties to be to be making any sort of decision, never mind uh, never mind um, global geopolitics and, and trying to, you know, face off with, <clears throat> to face off with um, Putin and, and the likes of these, you know, brilliant political geostrategic minds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it stinks to me, as like you were saying before, intelligence operation. And I think you might be right there. I'm not sure if um, Seymour Hirsch is intelligence, but I think he's so embedded in the intelligence community that if they wanted him to know something, they wanted something out there, then he's the perfect guy for it, isn't he? He's trustworthy. Um, both sides believe what he says um, and is the perfect vehicle to get this out there. Um, I hadn't thought about what you said before about this being some sort of, almost like a false flag itself, the article, to get retali retaliation from Russia. But it makes perfect sense after you've said it. Look, that's just, I mean, that's a gut feeling. I, mean, I did read the article. But I also, with what you said with regard to driving Germany back into the arms of Russia, I think that, I think after Merkel came out and, and publicly said that the Minsk agreements around Ukraine post-2014, 2015, that, that Germany oversaw them and signed off on them as a, as, a, as a way of buying themselves time against what was their greater agenda to suck Ukraine into the EU and push NATO to the, to the Russian border in Ukraine, and, and particularly Crimea. Crimea is the, is the golden egg that they're, that they're all you know, going to ultimately be fighting for down there. But... I think that I think the trust now with Europe is finished. I don't think there will be uh, any in our lifetime. It will be difficult for Europe and uh, and Russia to have a good relationship after Merkel basically admitted that you know it was a it was always just a fake. You know the, the Minsk agreements, which Russia is basically, which is what this whole war is about, is that is is that the Minsk agreements, which were signed and allegedly um, you know accepted by by the West, were. Uh, were you know were legal and and binding and then and then for for Merkel in her um, in her <coughs> retirement to come out and publicly say that no we are we're only buying ourselves time I think that's you know that Russia and Germany will never I mean Russia will never trust Germany again they'll never trust you know obviously they, they didn't trust America they tried to work with America I think I think in the Trump era there might have been some um, time that there might have been some uh, um, detente, so to speak, but uh, I think uh, at this stage um, there's there's no bringing uh, Russia and, and and Germany back into um, into any kind of harmonisation because uh, Russia has now changed its changed its strategy and and uh, you know they'll they'll they've got obviously a massive amount of gas, they've got a massive amount of oil, they've got a massive amount of all sorts of resources, <clears throat> and I think they will um, focus now on China. China and, and India, and uh, you know, they've, they've played very clever um, strategic games this last couple of years. And you know, if if there is a global agenda to crash the world economy through basically the the, the breakdown of the US uh, hegemony on the US dollar, it's um it's going to happen over this Ukraine war. And that's, I guess, that's a frightening thing for Australians because, as you know, if if America sneezes, we catch a cold down here. So you know, I um. I'm nervous about where this goes and, and Australia's blind, ignorant, um, jumping and taking sides with the likes of, uh, you know, 
the EU and uh, you know a very corrupt EU and, and the likes of Biden in um, in the US, it's it's frightening actually what what the ramifications for us here in Australia will be. Yeah, yeah, it is, and you know, saying that the majority of the population is in cahoots with it too. They just they believe everything they hear. So, I mean, I'm not sure who's the good guy in the back guy here. I just I know that. Um, I don't trust Russia. I don't trust Ukraine, but I trust the US and Europe a lot less. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, it's a horrible thing. It's horrible. You, you, it's it's a horrible thing to think because you know they were, you know, they are our key protector. You know, if if uh, in days of World War Two, if not for um, you know US um, militarism, so to speak, we we um, we'd probably all be speaking Japanese right now. But. Um, at some point, we need to realise that things have changed, <clears throat> and uh, and what we thought we were fighting in you know both world wars is probably um, snuck up under our noses without us noticing it. And uh, and Russia, unfortunately, is you know it's ended its um, it's ended its uh, communist years and trying to become like what we were, and uh, we're trying to, I guess, as somewhat conservatives, we're trying to bring ourselves back to what we were, and now and now um. We can, you know, that those people not getting their information from Channel Seven and Channel Nine, so to speak, in Australia. Um, it's 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 difficult not to be asking questions about what's going on over there because it's it's so blatantly, you know, we know Ukraine is is the most corrupt country in the world. There's not even not even a country in Africa that could compare with what's going on in in the Ukraine, and uh, and certainly what's been going on in Ukraine for the last, you know, pretty much even even prior to Poroshenko being overthrown in the Maidan 2014, he was. Uh, you know, he wasn't um, he wasn't exactly the Virgin Mary himself, but certainly uh, since that time, the country has slipped into you know it, it's it's so horribly corrupt, and the things that have been going on over there in the obviously with the biological labs and with the uh, the gas and the Biden's being Pelosi's and God knows who else. It's 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 a it's a cesspool of of the deepest dark, darkest corruption that. That poor little country, and you know the people of the country are, as usual, expendable, um, expendable, and uh, you know as as uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the U.S. Um, congressman who said, you know, we're we're prepared to fight fight this fight in in Ukraine until the last Ukrainian. You know, this is this is what they're uh, this is what they're um, yeah, what they're prepared to do. That's a shocking so, shocking statement, isn't it? Yeah. Coming from a coming from a you know a US um, US congressperson, it's crazy. I think of his name in a second. I'm just having a mind blank. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, there's going to be a lot more to come from the story, um, and it'll be interesting to see where it is, and then in the next couple of weeks when we speak next. Yeah. Look, thanks for the thanks for me for the chat, and certainly um, I hope that uh, I hope that you know I hope that Russia maintains its um extremely stoic patience that it's uh shown the last um the last well probably uh, at least 10 years and uh and they can they can i mean obviously the world knew this i mean even i don't know even you know the likes of Tucker carlson everyone's called it from early but now it's becoming clearer and clearer i mean we had uh, we had victoria newland the under secretary of state and of course we had uh biden himself admitting no we can take that out you know it's it was so so obvious that it was kind of a, a uh, you know, predictive, predictive uh, um, revelation of the method, so to speak. Um, you know, it, it, it's not hard to say who who did it. You know, they, they, when they tried to blame it on Russia, 
that was the, you know that was the funniest thing of all. Russia could just turn a tap off if they wanted. They didn't need yeah. to um, blow up their uh, years of years of hard work putting in this pipeline to, to supply Europe. So you know, ultimately, you know, it's it's crashed you know European business and European uh, European the, the German the German economy. You know, it hasn't basically having to deindustrialize. They've either had to freeze to death or shut down their industry. And as we're seeing, a lot of their industry is um, is relocating, and they're relocating to. Uh, you know, some of it's going to America, yeah, but she's a big, big percentage of it's going to China, and the same in France. It's, um, you know, it's uh, there's a very clear agenda at play here, and, and unfortunately, um, you know, we like to think that oh no, this is happening, and this is this is uh, you know there'll be a response to this, and, and Germany's got to um, do this, but these people, these people um, war game these war game these scenarios years in advance and they know they know the effect of what happens to industry they know the effect of what happens to nations and economies before they do any of these things and it's um it's funny to think that oh no they geez that was a little bit bit of a surprise it seems too it seems too coincidental most of the time that you know there, there is obviously a, a clear agenda at play with a feel for mine that biden has been put there to be the um catalyst to bring down the u.s economy and i think uh, he's doing a pretty good job of it yeah yeah and uh, you know, speaking of the agenda as well, um, are you aware that natural gas is the one of the main ingredients to make nitrogen fertilizer? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so it, it sort of fixes quite a few problems, doesn't it? In the uh, exactly, in the yeah. Agenda. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny yeah, going off going off topic a little bit, but Australia right now is the biggest gas exporter in the world. We've sort of had a few when Trump was in America. Trump uh, America overtook us, but Australia is back in front again now with Biden turning off a lot of the gas pipelines. But um, I I, uh, I um, was talking with uh, a politician in in uh, uh, in Brisbane Airport on Christmas Eve, and we um, I was just passing through on the way back to Sydney to see the family and. He was talking about Australian gas, and we get uh, 600 million a year. Our government gets for, for the gas we sell in this country as as a royalty. And Qatar, which sells the same amount or slightly less than us now, they get 29,000 million, 29 billion, and we get 600 million for the same volume of gas. Wow! And it's just it's um it's crazy to think that uh, yeah we um yeah in this country we uh, you know the, the the whole gas situation, and, and uh, we just we're we're so um, politically naive, and so we, we just have no understanding of how how the world works. We you know we should be we should be the we should be the US of the world now. We've got the resources, we've got everything here to be a, a world powerhouse. And unfortunately, we're um, yeah we're still sitting back here and, and giving all those riches to um, predominantly US. Uh, monoliths like the, you know the chevrons and the, the bechtels and halliburtons yeah got to get over that poor little brother syndrome don't we truly yeah truly I mean, you know, it's 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 crazy that we would um we would give up that uh, that level of uh, that level of sovereignty and and, and wealth you know, and clive palmer was right i mean he's, he's he's said some funny things but he was certainly right on the uh, the fact that um japan and and china built their um their powerhouse economies on the back of Australian resources, both coal and steel, or iron ore, and uh, we sit back here and we're still um, scratching around in the dust and um, wondering what the hell happened. So, 
Yep, yep. We almost got there a few years ago when, um, you know, this is probably my pre-political days when they were contemplating making these companies, you know, give more money to, well, I don't know if it would be the Australian public, it would definitely go to the, somewhere in Australia, probably the government. But they got rid of that pretty quickly through a, a big campaign, didn't they? So maybe things would have been different if that, if that came in, but, yeah, I don't know. Look, these guys, you know, the, the people were, the people, when I say people, but the, the entities or the, the people that we're fighting against are, um, they, they plan on, um, they plan on decades and centuries. So we're, we're kind of, um, you know, we're, we're very reactive and we're trying to work out what to do tomorrow or what to do next week where these guys have this stuff kind of planned out. And, you know, the, the, the deindustrialization through the Lima agreement in 1973, it's, it's, um, you know, we're seeing it in real time now. It's, it's, uh, you know, our industry is all but gone here, and, and um, we will always be a just a primary, primary industry or resource center. And um, you know, it'll, you know, our economy unfortunately will very much revolve around that. And I guess probably agriculture to an extent, to a lesser extent. But um, yeah, look, it's crazy, um, crazy times. As as I, as I used to say on the political campaign, um, the Plato quote, where if apathy towards Apathy towards public affairs or the activities of government always ends up with us being ruled by inferior men. And unfortunately, yeah. it's uh, it's Australia has been too preoccupied with uh, watching the footy on the weekend, or um, you know, we've, we've definitely shown our soft underbelly of complacency in the in the face of the tyranny that we're all facing. So it's a uh, it's certainly a um, hopefully there's a few more people can wake up and learn about you know the things we've spoken about and, and uh, be, it, be it the russia situation or the or the uh, fifth jab recommendations from atagi or hopefully they can uh, yeah have a listen and uh, do a read a read a bit of information outside the um, the mainstream narrative themselves definitely definitely and if uh anybody listening here thinks that one of their normie friends or family members can get a bit out of it I don't believe it being too extreme, so um, this might be a good introduction to them um, about the uh, you know the ongoings of the of the world and what actually actually happening. Well, in our opinion, anyway, but I'm pretty confident our opinion is the the truthful opinion. Um, but yeah, on that on that note, I believe this is probably the longest podcast we've done so far, so we should probably end it and um, <laughs> and save a bit to talk about next time. So uh, once again, thank you for joining us, and uh, we hope to. Have another chat with you soon. It's been, been Mitch, thank fun. you, mate. Thank you, Mitch. Pleasure to be on your show, mate. And um, yeah, look, love what stand up stand up is doing. Um, yeah, certainly uh, been a big fan of Pete for a long time, and, and I had the fortune of fortune to meet him just before Christmas um, after the uh, election there last year. And certainly, uh, he's um, yeah, he's a wonderful, wonderful uh, man. And, and um, hopefully, more people can learn about what his, him and uh, the rest of your team are doing around the country because it's really, really important. Definitely, definitely. If we've got more people like you as well across the country, we can all join up and do something about it. Like you were saying before, we all need to join up together, you know, rather than having these splintered parties and, um, and beliefs, yeah. you know, like you were saying before, there's, there's a lot of us out there. If we can all get together. Yeah, that, that yeah. Look, 100%, 100%. There's, there's um, you know, we've all got to come together and talk about... Um, political strategy for you know changing this and and uh certainly um yeah we can't uh, we can't go about it the way we did it the way we've done it in the past um it was very reactive rather than probably proactive and uh certainly um you know the minor parties have their place but uh 
you know, I think we have we have bigger fish to fry. Both, um, you know, there are things we can do locally. There are things we can do, you know, at the state level and obviously federally. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, we can strategize and really um, make a big difference. Certainly at the um, at the election polls, you know, in in three years' time or yeah, three years' time when the next big one is, I suppose. It'd be interesting to see what happens in New South Wales in the in the upcoming. That's that's our next um, next big one, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it will be interesting to see, especially after what's been going on there in the last couple of weeks with all that crap about the him doing something when he was twenty. So <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? He's he's uh, he's crocodile tears as he's trying to tell his story, but you know he's almost sobbing. Oh my god, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's just embarrassing. I, it is embarrassing, isn't it? We're just like, so what? I was twenty one. It was funny. Exactly. It would have gone away. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, have a great day. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll chat to you very shortly. Brilliant, mate. Thank, thank you, Mitch. And um, yeah, look, mate, look forward to talking again soon. <laughs> See ya. See you, mate.